Welcome to the perfume room. My scent of the day today is the gin and tonic fragrance of my dreams. I am wearing Penhalican's Juniper Sling, which is a fragrant masterpiece, in my honest opinion, created by master perfumer and past perfume room guest, Olivier Crisp. It is so perfect. If you like a juniper scent, this I think might be the most delightful. And I will say, you guys know my obsession with Oris and Iris. And I think that it's because those are two notes that just like feel like me. Like when I think about like, what is my identity best encapsulated in a fragrance note? I just, Oris and Iris just feel, I don't know, they just feel personal. Anyway, I would venture to say that other fragrance notes that I feel as deeply aligned with on a personal level would be any sort of lactonic note and juniper berries. If I can smell like lipstick, a glass of milk, or a gin and tonic, or in a perfect world, all three of those things combined, I am sold. Anyway, I am holding off on an in-depth review of this scent because if you plan to sign up for September Smell Club, the theme for which is boozy scents, I am happy to reveal that Juniper Slang is one of the five scents in the sample pack. More to come on Smell Club. Look out for announcements in the coming week or so. Anyway... I realized I haven't done a perfume juice in a while, so today I want to talk about something that I'm wondering if it will become a new trend, which is particularly relevant to today's episode because we focus largely on industry trends. And this trend is the fragrance brand to fashion pipeline. I feel like we so often see the reverse where you see a fashion brand create a fragrance, whether it's Celine or Prada or Dior or Chanel, Versace, Zadig and Voltaire, Rag and Bone, Zara, I could go on and on and on. But it is not often that we see a perfume brand that becomes a successful fashion line. The other day I was walking in Soho and I saw a Byredo store and it was closed because it was later in the day, but I looked in the window and to my surprise, rather than seeing a slew of fragrances displayed, I saw what Byredo has trademarked as byproduct, aka all the non-perfume products that they sell, which includes everything from leather perfume holders, aka a $300 koozie for your $300 fragrance, leather wallets, cases, purses, blankets, sneakers, bathing suits, and more. And then the other day I saw a Fragrantica article was written on this very topic around the release of Byredo's newest jacket. So I am curious, I pose to you, what do you guys think about this? Which other fragrance brands do you think will follow suit? <laughs> Pun intended. Which brands would you want to wear their fashion for? Which do you think will be successful? And I also want to differentiate merch and or any sort of one-off collab from an entire fashion line. For example, Diaz and Durga, I know they sell certain apparel, but I would consider that more along the lines of merch. They sell towels, socks, t-shirts, totes that say perfume, but I don't consider what Diaz and Durga sells to be like its own sort of like eponymous fashion label. I feel like Byredo is really differentiating itself in the space by creating this sort of full-fledged luxury goods and apparel brand in addition to their fragrances. Would you be more inclined to buy expensive designer clothes if you were already a fan of their fragrances? In other words, do you think it is better or worse to have these sort of fragrance origins? DM me, let me know your thoughts. Personally, I don't know. I guess I'd be down to wear some Byredo apparel because it kind of feels like a little like inside baseball for the real ones, right? Like 
I think, or I would assume, that anyone who's shopping for Byredo byproduct is already a fan of their fragrances. Anyway, this is a great time for me to share my amazing fragrance merch idea. So if anyone takes it, you heard it here first. I mean, unless this exists, but I really don't think it does, but I haven't researched it. Um, okay, so here's my idea. You know all of those cringe like baby announcement charts that you see on like Reddit or just like social media? I will give you an example of one I saw recently that has unfortunately remained um, in my brain. Okay, so this couple posted a photo and it was like a little onesie with a Mack truck on it. And then on that onesie above the truck, it said, daddy delivered his load. Um, vomit. If it were like ironic or kitschy or like made for adults, like I could see how like someone could wear it sort of like as a novelty, like jokingly, but for an earnest baby announcement, I'm, I'm going to throw up. Okay, so here is my idea. Tag me if you do this. Say you have one child already and you are announcing your pregnancy with your second. You can give your firstborn a shirt that says pillar and then you can give the baby that you're pregnant with or you can put like a photo of like a little onesie that says flanker. Do we love this? Should I become a t-shirt designer, fashion designer, or should I stick to my day job? Let me know. Byredo Byproduct, are you hiring? Okay, enough. I'm done. Let's get to the episode. This week, I am joined by another matchmaker of sorts, a beauty matchmaker, Bart Schmidt. Bart is a fragrance agent. And if you are wondering what that means, I was too. And Bart explains all of it in this episode. I am always fascinated by some of the lesser known careers in the fragrance industry, especially when it comes to the people who have seemed to carve these careers out for themselves and maybe they didn't exist prior. Bart is sort of the behind the scenes person who brings everything together from matching brands with perfumers to sourcing bottles and fill and finding storage space. Basically, Bart kind of covers all the logistical elements that go into creating a fragrance that we might not consider or think of so that beauty brands don't have to. In this episode, he shares his predictions for trends to come this decade or what's going to mark this decade when we look back, the next sort of lalabos of the industry, what factor will always be most important in consumers discovering new fragrance, no matter how the landscape evolves, and why we sometimes seemingly keep seeing the same fragrance recreated over and over again, and whom he feels best breaks these sort of molds that we get stuck in. Here is Bart. Bart, welcome to the perfume room. How are you doing today? Thank you, Emma. I'm doing great. It's a wonderful day outside. It's not humid. It's beautiful weather. So I'm, I'm doing great. So I always ask every guest, what fragrance are you currently wearing? So that's a very good question. I actually am going to pull up the bottle for a sec because it, uh, we had a little event uh, a couple of weeks ago over at Diptyque and um, this is the the Doson uh, oh, fragrance beautiful and it's really is is beautiful I mean I love it has this kind of white floral see but jasmine but in a very kind of natural way mm -hmm. um, and it just wears beautifully I and I yeah you know it's for me it's one of those almost masculine florals and it has mm -hmm. this kind of rice feel this beautiful and it, it, it wears so lovely 
Mm. I wish it would stay a little. This is actually, I believe this is the EDT, and I, I'm not sure if they have a EDP version of it mm-hmm. uh, because it doesn't last that long on skin for me, mm-hmm. but it's just, it just has a lovely dry down. It's, it's quite musky underneath. Uh, and again, it wears beautifully, even though I would wish it would last a little bit longer. And I'm not one of those people like, oh, I need my fragrance to last eight or 10 hours. You know, right, right. I, I like it in general a little bit more subtle because I don't mind reapplying. Like if I, you know, I, I work at the home office yeah. and then when I come back home and why not reapply before you go out again? I'm I'm right there with you. If there's a fragrance I love and I need to apply it every few hours, so be it. If I love the fragrance, I will reapply it. It's not that big of a deal. With that said, do you have any fragrance controversial opinions or hot takes? Controversial opinions, you know, I, I think still uh, we're going more and more into genderless fragrances, which I love, right? Because that's really the origin of perfumery anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't, you know, I wear quite a few um, feminine fragrances and I get a lot of amazing compliments. When I wear fragrances like Tom Ford Black Orchid, mm-hmm. you'd be surprised how many people come up to you and say, wow, this smells so great on you. And I think that mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not really controversial, but for men to wear more floral fragrances, I think it's great. Even when I wear the original opium Mm-hmm. I get I get a lot of compliments. Now that's a powerhouse that I would you know normally only wear in the winter, but um, yeah, I think there is there shouldn't be any more taboo in fragrance. You know, wear what you like, what pleases you. It, also, from a price point perspective, it doesn't matter. Sometimes you find a great cheapie, and right. sometimes you know you run into something that costs a lot of money, and it's just not worth the money, right? Right. So I agree. It, it's it's for me it's all over and like I said if I find something at the local urban outfitters or uh, you know anthropology that I like or even at the local Marshalls or TJ Maxx and I like it I'll wear it no problem. I love that. Would you say you have a, a signature scent or a, a signature scent profile that you tend to gravitate towards? No, I don't. I don't. You know, I have really. I'm so you know, really blessed to wear so many different fragrances that are currently in development that are coming out in the next year or two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I really have the uh, opportunity to wear different samples every day, and uh, sometimes multiple, you know, where I have like multiple on the wrist and on the upper arm and on my elbow and four or five different fragrances. So I don't really have a signature. I try to keep an open mind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, it's very much like music or like art, right? You might sometimes not necessarily like it as your preference, but mm-hmm. you appreciate it because it's well done, right? right. And, I th- and I think that that's the most important thing for me. Fragrances, it's again, it's like music. It's like it has to be harmony. It has to be in harmony, even mm-hmm. though, you know, you can have certain overdoses or certain things that stick out, which can be really provocative and can be great. Mm-hmm. But overall, there has to be a sense of harmony for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think that that's sometimes lost, especially when it comes to more some of the obscure niche brands that are just trying to be too far out there and try to mm-hmm. be almost a little bit too crazy. Right. Uh, and they just lose that sense of harmony. And 
you know, and it's it's not about, you know, crazy for the sake of being crazy, right? There, there still has to be a rhyme or reason. There still mm-hmm. has to be uh, an underlying kind of like, you know, reason why a fragrance is beautiful. And, and harmony is a big part of that for me. Well, but you know, when it comes to notes, I'm all mm-hmm. over the place. Right. I, I feel similarly. And as you're talking about the harmony of a fragrance and sort of like adding your opinion last, this kind of all checks out because I know that at one point in your career, you were a fragrance evaluator, right? Yeah, I was trained as a fragrance evaluator. I was really lucky. Um, I started, I'm originally from Amsterdam, Mm -hmm. and I I started my career in Germany. Um, I didn't finish my college in Amsterdam, but I enrolled into an internship in this German fragrance company, which at the time was called Drogoco, and later on it became Simrise, which is one of the top fragrance houses in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and they enrolled me in this two-year program that all, they may also made me go back to school, by the way, to finish up my college degree. Uh, and this program was for 24 months. And every two months, you, you switched departments. So mm-hmm. you went into from research to production to the lab uh, to technology uh, to purchasing, sales, marketing, an incredible, incredible program, which is very much a, uh, a German way of kind of getting people involved in different industries. Uh, and that kind of an internship is, is quite common there. Mm-hmm. So that was really an eye opener into the entire industry. And then later on, I was lucky I was transferred over to their US headquarters after the two years in Germany. And that's really when I started to focus more on, on fragrance development, working mm-hmm. closely with the perfumers and the evaluators there to become more of an evaluator, but always had my a mindset on being more commercial and doing sales, but with the kind of evaluation background, which I think has really helped me over the last 20 some years doing, doing fragrance and right. being involved in this industry. Right. It must be hard to be in fragrance sales if you don't have that background and you don't exactly know what you're speaking to, right? Yes, yes. But you'd be surprised. I mean, you know, what always surprises me as well is like how many people on, let's say, the fragrance house side of the industry. First of all, I don't think a lot of the salespeople are trained well enough, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. And and secondly, I don't think that they really keep track on, on what's going on in the market and in particular what's happening in the niche market, because that's where all the new trends are coming from. Uh, mm-hmm. all, the, all the indie brands are really making a difference on the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are really the trendsetters. Those are the, the fragrances a lot of times that are being, quote unquote, trickled down and then being used as benchmarks for new designer brands or other brands. And I'm, I'm always surprised that, you know, a lot of people, not only the, the salespeople at the fragrance houses, but a lot of other folks as well, they don't wear enough fragrances and they're mm-hmm. not involved much with the consumer side of the industry. And that's a shame. Mm. So this is not the order I was planning to ask, but with that said, as you're speaking to it, what are some of those trends that you're seeing starting um, at that niche indie level that are trickling down right now? Well, I think that, you know, the one most obvious one is obviously this whole Middle Eastern kind of taste in in Mm -hmm. oud and the heavier type of fragrances. And that's been going on for a couple of years. To be be honest with you, oud is out for me. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just done with it. I'm over Mm -hmm. it. Been there, done that. You know, but I, I still have an awful lot of clients that are asking for it, that they want to get involved or that want to use it as a benchmark. 
So I think that that was really a clear trend for me, you know, five or even more years ago. And, and it kind of continues, but it's now opening up to the broader markets. So we're mm. seeing it more into design and we're seeing it more into the mass market. Right. Um, so overall, I think there's a lot happening in terms of, uh, again, floral notes becoming more masculine, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So rose directions, jasmine directions, white floral notes, traditionally, quote unquote, feminine that are now really being used more on the masculine side. And I think mm. that's very exciting for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, not really new. I mean, I was wearing uh, Lola Bose Rose 31 right. t- 10 some years ago. Right, and, right. And I love the fragrance. Right. Um, so that's, you know, definitely one of my favorite in, in their line. Mm-hmm. But but again, it's it's exciting to see that we're becoming in that sense, a little bit more open-minded. We are not seeing all these fragrances, no real gender direction, wear what you like, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and, and definitely florals for men, I think is, is going to continue to develop. Hmm. That's so interesting too, because when you look at like what Gen Z, like the conversation around, you know, new perfume consumers, I feel like everyone who, as they're getting into perfume or is ahead of a trend, thinks that they're the person who discovered it and history repeats itself. And if you go back 20 or 30 years prior, it's like what people criticize as these, and I'm putting it in quotes, old lady grandma perfumes are these like loud sheep fragrances and these really like opulent, like opium, like you were talking about. And now people are like, I don't want to wear the soft fragrances of like yesteryear, but yesteryear used to be loud fragrances too it's just which decade are you talking about right right? yeah well i I think that was also you know it went hand in hand with a lot of things that were happening overall in culture right Mm -hmm. let's not forget in the in the 90s when a lot of people were pushed into these cubicles to work right you know people started wearing really a lot of lighter fragrances because they were so worried about offending their colleagues who were sitting so close to them now right right and now you know we're working from home there's definitely more quote unquote freedom mm-hmm. uh, and we are now not only wearing it to kind of you know portray who we want to be but also that makes us feel better ourselves right, right. so I think that 20 or 30 years ago, those fragrances, the Georgia, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Georgia Beverly Hills stuff were really worn to, let's say, attract the other sex, right? Right. And, and now that has changed. We're wearing it because we feel that we're empowered. We just want to wear what we wear. We love it. It, it cannot be loud or strong enough, but it's for me. Mm-hmm. And if right. you don't like it, I don't care, you know? Right, so, right. That's so, so if you had to sort of like, um, epitomize or I guess maybe forecast a little, and I know you just sort of did this, but you know, I do feel like within like every decade, there's been something that's been like, sort of like a common theme of the decade. And I think your analysis of, you know, people sitting in cubicles, having to wear more subdued fragrances. And now, now we're moving into so many people working remote or having these sort of flexible work schedules. What would you say? And, and maybe it's what you already said. But what do you think when we look back on the 2020s are going to be like, oh, do you remember when everyone wore those kind of fragrances in 2025 or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Well, again, I think to your point, Chypre, uh, yeah. amber, uh, woods, yeah. le- leather, oots, love it. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. All the notes yeah. that I love as well. But 
I love to mix it up too. I mean, mm-hmm. this morning, this morning before I was wearing the diptyque, I just splashed on some forty-seven eleven, a mm-hmm. good old, a good old cheap eau de cologne, and right. it just makes me happy. It just wakes me up, makes me happy mm-hmm. in the morning. Mm-hmm. Plus, it go, it fades very quickly. So mm-hmm. an hour, an hour later, you can layer it with whatever you want. Right. Well, also what you were saying too is this trend of moving sort of towards gender inclusive fragrances. And when you look at something like 4711 and you were mentioning just like the origins of perfume was that it really wasn't gendered. I I think that's an interesting, there, there are so many things that this generation or these that we think that we're breaking, but we're really just going back to where, to the basics, right? I mean. Absolutely. It's, and it's, and, and it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, the, so the whole thing about masculine slash feminine fragrances, uh, it was really more or less created by the retailers mm-hmm. uh, and especially by the department stores who were telling uh, the brands and the, and the beauty houses, where is it going to sit on the counter? Are you, right. is, it go, is it going to be a feminine fragrance or is it going to be a masculine fragrance? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like, there was no just one counter where all the fragrances were. Right. Uh, so are you going to be in the women's department or the men's department? Right. So that really kind of like forced a lot of the brands to, you know, do the four men and four women. And But it's, it's a beautiful thing that we're going away from that. And it's mm-hmm. a beautiful thing that, you know, men are willing to wear more florals and that women are wearing uh, the, the, the quote unquote woody masculine leathery fragrances. Mm-hmm. But but women were always a lot more open to that anyway, right? I've heard like some stats saying that uh, close to thirty percent of all men's fragrances are actually worn by women of the total markets. Yeah, oh, wow. yeah. So, so that that's that's quite a large chunk. Mm-hmm. And and I think again, maybe ten or fifteen years ago, it was about oh, I want to smell like my partner, or you know, it reminds me of. And now it's like. No, uh, I like, like woody, it. Yeah. I like that woody scent. Yeah. So why right. not, right? Yeah. Right, exactly. Well, I do think that you have a particularly holistic perspective. You know, you were talking not just about the actual juice, but about where it's situated in a store. And you have a very unique career in the fragrance industry. You're a fragrance agent. You're a beauty matchmaker. What does that mean? <laughs> it means a lot of things, and it means something different every day. Um, so I saw how this whole market was kind of changing in the last 10, 15 years. Like we talked about a lot of the indie brands and a lot of the niche brands that were becoming more prevalent, that were becoming more successful, and that started taking away some market share from the big guys, right? From mm-hmm. the big des- designer brands. And, you know, then you, you saw what happened. Some of those successful smaller indie and niche brands were then eventually bought by the big guys, right? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, so when I saw this and I was working at the, the, you know, one of the big fragrance houses, Ferminus at the time, I used to get calls every, you know, every week or every day sometimes when, where do I find a bottle? Where do I find a box? Can you help me locate a designer? Can you help me find a contract manufacturer? Can mm-hmm. you help me find uh, a filler? A lot of people that start in the industry and that want to create their own indie brand or their own beauty line or fragrance line. They will call a fragrance house, but they don't, they don't realize that the fragrance house is only part of the puzzle. It's only right. w- one piece. A fragrance house really only creates the scent, the fragrance, the oil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. From, from there, you need a lot more to get the finished product. And right. a, lot of, a lot of 
companies and a lot of individuals, they don't realize that. Mm-hmm. So they think, oh, I'm going to call Fragrance House and then, you know, it's turnkey and they'll put it in a bottle and I have a finished product. Well, right. yeah, there's a lot of steps in between. And that's really where I focus and on all those steps in between and helping brands to get from A to Z. So mm-hmm. that means working with an, a fragrance house, with perfumers to get them the right fragrance, helping them to find designers to create the concept and the bottle and the cap or whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Then work with packaging companies to either get those components customized and get them produced for them mm-hmm. or to find nice stock packaging where a lot of indie brands, they start with a beautiful stock bottle and they might customize just a cap to give it more of a signature. Mm-hmm. Then I help them to locate people that will create from the oil, will produce the actual perfume solution, mm-hmm. being an eau de parfum or the toilette or mm-hmm. whatever strength they want it and do what they call the F&A part. And the F&A is the filling and assembly part. So they will fill the bottles, they will do the solution, the maceration, they will fill it, they will put the whole package together, put it in the beautiful boxes, put the cellophane around it if they want it or not. And again, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting very much against using cello because I see a lot of indie brands are going away from it, which I love, mm-hmm. because why, why waste more plastic than is absolutely necessary. Right. Then, you know, put it in master shippers and then it's shipped to their warehouse. And a lot of them, they, you know, don't even realize a lot of indie brands that you need mm-hmm. special warehousing to handle these fragrances because mm-hmm. fragrances are considered dangerous goods. It's hazardous because it's flammable because of the alcohol and the solution. So now they need help with special warehouses that can handle that. Mm-hmm. Not only that have the, the right paperwork, safety protocols, and that can also ship alcohol. Because again, right. a lot of indie brands think, oh, I go to my local post office and I'll ship some perfume. Well, unfortunately, that's not the way it works. You need special right. paperwork, you need special training, safety training, hazardous training, how to ship dangerous goods and mm-hmm. all that good stuff. So again, it's, it's a really, it's an entire process. And as a beauty matchmaker, that's exactly what I do is mm-hmm. I try to help all these companies to locate the right suppliers, the right partners, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the right every every step of the way from whatever they need to get a beautiful finished product uh, on the market. I hope you are loving this episode. I just want to remind you all that my special 20% off discount with Andrea Mock ends next Tuesday, September 13th. If you want to take advantage of that 20% discount, definitely do so before next Tuesday with the code perfumeroom20 at checkout. And unfortunately, the August special of a free discovery set with any purchase is no longer valid. However, every full-size purchase does come with two samples. And Andrea Mock just released a travel-size edition of Coven, which is my favorite scent. Use the code PERFUMEROOM20 for 20% off any purchase of andreamock.com before Tuesday, September 13th. So would you say that you're sort of like agnostic in all of this? Like if someone comes to you, what would make you think like, oh, you should work with this fragrance house versus a different fragrance house? Yeah. So a lot of time I I try to give my clients different options. Mm -hmm. Um, So normally I would, you know, introduce them to several different fragrance houses or Mm -hmm. even to some independent perfumers because there's some great independent perfumers out there. People like Mm -hmm. Christophe Laudamiel and stuff. Mm-hmm. that can do wonderful things. So it depends 
sometimes on their budgets, sometimes on their needs, sometimes on, but at the end of the day, they have to feel that it's a, it's a, the right partnership, right? Mm-hmm. So the client has to be really comfortable with who they're going to work with. So mm-hmm. it's again, that's part of the matchmaking. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes it's a beautiful marriage and sometimes it isn't. Right. So, but, so, but, you know, just giving them, I, I kind of have a feeling after meeting and talking to the clients, what their needs are and, and who they would be comfortable, I think would be comfortable working with. Mm-hmm. So they, and then you make that introduction and you facilitate that. And, and like I said, I mean, you know, knock on wood, a lot of times it works out. Mm-hmm. And, but there's also cases where at the end, you know, they, they chose to, uh, to go a different way, to go a different mm-hmm. route mm-hmm. or to go to a different fragrance house. It happens. Right. Has it ever been as specific as like someone tells you that they have an idea for like this beautiful, I'm just making this up, like specifically like warm jasmine fragrance. And you're like, oh, this perfumer I know makes an amazing warm jasmine. Like, do you ever think about specific perfumers based on the types of fragrances? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's funny because, you know, and you know this, there are perfumers that all of them have a certain type of signature. Right. Uh, even though, you know, good perfumers can create everything from something that is citrusy fresh to your heavy oud loaded leathery sheep. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. But to a certain degree, they all have a little bit of a comfort zone in right. terms of also their personal preference. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, evaluators are so uh, important because they sometimes try to, you know, push the limits a little bit and get them mm-hmm. a little bit out of their comfort zone. But to your point, a lot of them at the end of the day, they, some of them are very good with florals. I mean, you have people like Dominique Opium, which right. is amazing with florals. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have people like Frank Vogel, which is, you know, one of my favorite perfumers and, and a great friend of mine uh, who is amazing with also floral sea, but with woody notes and warm mm-hmm. notes. So, yeah, I mean, sometimes you have somebody in mind, uh, and it just, again, it's, it's a great match and it just works out. Um, I work a lot with, with uh, a perfumer, Catherine Selik, mm-hmm. over at Takasago. She's mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, I introduced her to uh, Terry Johnson over at the Harlem Candle Company. And they've been creating magic together. You wow. know, so for me, even though I'm kind of like on the sidelines and, and you give my, you know, put my two cents in there and give my input once in a while, Mm-hmm. They just, it just clicked and they create magic together. So yeah. It's, and it's lovely to see when that, those kind of things work out. And it, she almost then becomes like the in-house perfumer for that particular client. Right. Know? Wow. You're like the, you're like the most important man in fragrance behind the scenes, like putting all these pieces together. And I'm sure that there are so many other collaborations that we all know and love that you are responsible for. Yeah. And some I can, and some I cannot talk about to your point. I mean, it's just, it's just just the nature of the industry, but I love being behind the scenes. I don't, you know, I don't want to spotlight, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even the fact that we, that we're doing, you know, this wonderful podcast of yours. Now that's for me, it's like, Oh, you know, it's already too much, right? Why put myself out there? But no, it's, you know, it's, it's it's great. Yeah. It, is, it is fun. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, so I get involved in the most kind of like different projects. Uh, we I worked very closely uh, through I have a media partner who's involved with a lot of different talent and a lot of different artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a number of years ago, uh, we worked with Warner Music. They came mm-hmm. to us and they said, well, uh, Melanie Martinez, she really wants to do a fragrance. 
Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of interesting because it was really at the start of her career. Mm-hmm. And normally when it comes to celebrity fragrances, as you know, you have to be a huge star before a company is even interested uh, in, in creating a fragrance for you because it costs a lot of money to develop and to put it out there and to market. But she has a very interesting profile, as you probably know. Mm-hmm. And at, at the time, she was all about her, um, you know, her kind of like alter ego, which was Crybaby. Right. Uh, and so she came to us. We had a meeting. We had a meeting with some amazing designers, uh, a couple of guys over in Brooklyn, a power shovel creative, who actually, by the way, also do all the, uh, the stores for Le Labo. Mm-hmm. And, we, and we sat down and we started talking. And she said, I really want to do something based on my uh, crybaby personality, on my crybaby alter ego. And so she already had this thought in mind that she wanted to do a more retro type of baby bottle shape for a bottle for a perfume. Mm -hmm. Um, So we talked to a lot of different people. I helped her to, uh, you know, get the right people also to to finance that project. We worked with Warner Music. We did a whole Mm -hmm. licensing agreement. We started working with Kathleen Selig on, on the fragrance, and we came up with this idea on creating this perfume milk. So it was a crybaby perfume milk, and mm-hmm. we actually made it milky white. So mm-hmm. when it's in the bottle, you can see that it has kind of like this baby milk kind of look to it. Mm-hmm. So it was a whole process. I mean, it, you know, it, uh, it took us well over a year to put the whole thing together because, you know, the bottle was completely custom, <clears throat> custom designed by the guys from Power Shuffle in Brooklyn. It was completely customized. Also, we had this little nipple on top that you had to screw off to get to the pump. Yeah. Uh, so it, it really became such a fun kind of project and so unique. Yeah. <clears throat> and she started really growing as an artist and uh, having a very, very loyal following. It's almost like a Melanie Martinez uh, army, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And so when she did like this little one minute video to introduce the fragrance, it got millions of views. And we're like, wow, mm-hmm. this is this is amazing. Mm-hmm. And even today, I mean, it, people are still looking at that one minute video on, on her perfume, even though the perfume has been sold out a long time ago. Right. It has over 5 million views for a little perfume ad for something that is, quote unquote, completely unknown and was very indie. Mm-hmm. And, and it turned out to be a real big success. So it's super right. fun, super fun project. Yeah, I mean, that's a Fragrantica darling. I feel like, as you mentioned, it's been sold out forever. So I have not gotten my hands on it but I'm a big fan of lactonic scents. Um, and I like, I did one of my like smell clubs was lactonic themed. And I feel like that one comes up on forums time and time again. And I haven't even smelled it, but I know the bottle because it's like, it's literally like a, a baby bottle. Like, yeah, it's so distinct. Um, which is so interesting for a celebrity perfume because I feel, I don't know, celebrity perfumes have, have, I don't feel like they're usually that daring or that like conceptual. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. I mean, obviously, you know, the companies that uh, have the licensing agreement or are the investors behind those type of brands, it has to be a commercial success. Mm -hmm. So they spend so much money on the development, on the production, especially on the marketing to to launch that Mm -hmm. and to to keep it relevant, uh, which Mm -hmm. is very hard, especially when it comes to celebrity fragrances. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, they really are, and they do a lot of consumer research, right? So that's another mm-hmm. thing that I think is not really great for the industry. It's all the consumer testing that goes on, 
not only for celebrity brands, but for a lot of the designer brands as well. Right. And, and, what, and what you see when you ask consumers uh, in a split second, what do they like? What do they love? Would you buy wear it? Would you buy it? Mm-hmm. You know, subconsciously, they always go back. They relate it to something that they have already smelled. Mm-hmm. So when they have to make a quick decision, because mm-hmm. if it's if something is too different or too new, it normally is an acquired taste. It takes you right. a couple of times to live with it, to wear the fragrance. And in those consumer tests, a lot of times you don't have that luxury. So they make right. a quick decision on something that they already like or that they already love. And, you know, so the, the quote unquote new fragrances that are being created and that are getting out there on the market, they become a same a little bit as is what's already out on the market. So there's not a huge shift. And again, Mm -hmm. it's the indie and the niche brands that are really making a difference because they don't do the consumer testing. They go with their, they go with their intuition. They launch what they feel is the right fragrance. Mm -hmm. And um, that's really what brings the newness. And sometimes, sometimes that works like Santal Mm -hmm. for Le Labo or like Baccarat Rouge. Mm-hmm. Uh, for MFK, so mm-hmm. you know, Maison Francis Courgeon, mm-hmm. so, uh, and then all of a sudden it becomes like a cult status, and then right. it's trickled down, and you see it all over the place. And designer Everywhere. brands are, right. yeah. So, yeah. but right. that's that's what drives the newness in in general. You know? So, if someone came to you and they wanted to, you know, if they were like, "This is the idea I have. I have nothing else." And I know you were mentioning, you know, there's this misconception that like once you pair with like a Ferminish, you're good because you have the oil house. Who are the other like key players? What else, like how would, for example, like a brand like Cody or Slate Brands be different in the process of creating a perfume versus like a Ferminish or a Givadon? Well, so again, so the, the, the Slate Brands and the Cody's of this world, they mm-hmm. go to the fragrance houses to Givadon and Ferminish to create the fragrances. Right. But but again, it's only one part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so a, a Cody, they will have their own fragrance development people internally that will work with the perfumers at the fragrance houses. Mm-hmm. They will do a lot of consumer research before they pick a winner. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, what happens then that a lot of those fragrances that are coming out are, to me, not that unique. Like we mm-hmm. talked, even, not only on the celebrity side, even though Cody got you know rid of all the celebrity brand, but mm-hmm. even on their their own big brands, what you see is, you know, I, I don't think anything that is spectacularly new. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying they're not great fragrances because they are, mm-hmm. and the perfumers that are behind those brands are incredible perfumers, but right. their hands to a certain degree are also tied because. Again, they have to, it has to be a commercial success. They have to win these tests before it goes out in the market. Now, mm-hmm. somebody like a Slate Brands that, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to work with on the Haley Kyoko fragrance mm-hmm. is, again, they are smaller. They are more nimble. They're more mm-hmm. agile. They can take more risk. So they can also do their own thing. It doesn't have to be this huge commercial success that tomorrow is going into 2,500 Walmart stores. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they are also willing to take a little bit more of that risk. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that means it's a little bit of a slower build for the brand because obviously right. they don't have the same kind of, uh, you know, marketing budget that somebody like a Cody has. Mm-hmm. But slowly but surely you'll see again, there is a cult following that's becoming for that fragrance. And it is a beautiful fragrance, right. which was done by, you know, Constance, Georges Picot over at Cosmo right. Fragrances. Right. 
so I, you know uh, different strokes for different folks as they like to say but in general the big beauty houses they are taking a lot less risk because it has to be more of a commercial success they have a lot of the brand managers and you know there's a big machine involved a lot of those folks have to also justify their jobs right so if they take too much risk and it becomes a flop then what happens Right. But now, now they have the consumer research data to back it up and say, no, but, you know, it might not be a success, but maybe it's the wrong time of the, of the launch. But I have the consumer data to back it up. It was, it was a clear winner. Right. right. So it must be marketing department that's the fault why it's not doing well. And then marketing will say, but it's the sales guys that didn't do their job. And it's, it's really hard. I mean, to be honest with you, you know, everything has to be aligned to create a huge success like an Aqua de Joe mm-hmm. or a Chanel Blue right. or a Coco Mademoiselle. Uh, you know, you cannot just say, oh, it's just because it's a fantastic fragrance. No, it had, there's a lot that's involved. And luck is definitely some of it. What do you think is the most effective marketing going on right now that you're seeing? Oh, my God. I mean, obviously, social media has changed a lot. Mm -hmm. But I mean, now that the pandemic is over, uh, in general, you have to take an omni-channel approach from a marketing perspective as well. So it's not only focusing like, okay, I'm going to do a TikTok or I'm going to do this, that or the other. or I'm going to do be very edgy and I'm going to do VR, AI, metaverse kind of launches. I'm going to create an NFT for my next fragrance. It has to be really a combination of a lot of different things and accessibility. Sampling is still extremely important. Right. Uh, you know, yes, there is definitely more blind purchasing and blind buying going on of fragrances online, but it's not that easy. Uh, so you need as a brand, you need the exposure, you need to get the samples out. People still want to go out there and be able to smell it and touch it and feel it. Um, you know, so. Yes, online is, uh, is becoming more and more important. From a marketing perspective, it has to be a, a total mix. Uh, it, you know, we cannot just rely on, on, on printed uh, ad, ad advertising anymore because it's just it's, it's gone. Right. So you have, you have to do different things. You have to be creative. And what you see is sometimes very successful as well is these kind of unique collaborations. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you think of brands like uh, Supreme, uh, mm-hmm. other, you know, brands that are doing really cool stuff in collaboration with, with beauty companies. Right, yeah. right. Like Kith just did a partnership with Malin and Getz and created like the Kith fragrance. And, and Yes, yeah. 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 Very cool stuff. Or I'm also interested too, because I do know that you work with a lot of indie and niche um, perfumers and brands. What, what has been the most effective marketing you've seen in that respect? It, it's obviously it's a lot harder, and I think it really comes down to the story and the founders. I mean, everybody always talks about the authenticity uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to those brands, but the the founder story is is very important, and it has to be real. Well, with that said, if you were in their shoes and you had the opportunity to work with you or someone like you, what would would you be going out with a fragrance? a beauty product, a candle, what would it be and what would it smell like and how would it function? Very good question. Um, I would personally start with, with a fragrance. And, and 
quite a few years ago, this is around 2014, I did have uh, my own line, but it was oh, wow. in but it was in collaboration at the time with a young chef. Hmm. Uh, it was uh, with a guy by the name of Chef Roble. I don't know if you remember, he used to have a, his own he, show. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And I think that at the time, we were a little bit ahead of the time in terms of having this collaboration between a chef and a perfumer and to translate his one of his dessert creations which was a really unique dessert creation into the fragrance and mm -hmm. we worked with frank Volko over at Ferminis at the time on the fragrance it was a great collaboration but this was 2014 and people really didn't see the connection even though uh, a chef and cooking is very similar really to what perfumers are doing right uh, Although a chef might have 100 or 200 ingredients and a perfumer can have, you know, over 2,000, right? Right, right. Um, but there's quite a few similarities, again, about creating the harmony, about creating a recipe, using certain notes, uh, trying to highlight certain things. Very much fragrance and chefs have that, the perfumers and chefs have that in common. Mm -hmm. um, so we actually, we had it for a while on, on Shop HQ, Shop NBC, one of those, Evine, you know, one of those TV. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and that really became successful because he would go out there and recreate that dessert. And then people said, oh, I got it. Those dessert notes, like the chocolate and the honey and, you know, some of the doughy notes in there and making mm -hmm. that kind of a gourmand fragrance, which at the time was, you know, gourmand fragrances were totally in. Mm -hmm. Then they saw the connection. But the stores did not get it. They're like, why would a chef do a fragrance? Right. And it's and it's so funny because since then, Nina Ricci has worked with La Durée or with, with a chef. And since then, you know, um, there's a couple of niche brands that have done it. There's a chef in Spain that has worked as a collaboration with a perfume house. But in 2014, the stores just didn't get it. So it be it was not a commercial success, but we had a, a tremendous fun time working on it and, and getting it out on television. So, mm -hmm. but just to get back to your, your original question, I, I would still do another fragrance uh, just because I love wearing different fragrances so much. Right. Uh, I, I, I like using skincare products, but to be honest with you, I'm not somebody that uses skincare on a daily. Mm -hmm. uh you know i'm really bad at that uh Same. i use soap and water and i'm good in general so so i don't have the same kind of like feeling affinity for that than i do you know for fragrance but and, and just the whole development process working with great perfumers and going through that it's it really is a privilege and uh you 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 create something that it, it becomes yours and you create this beautiful memory and yeah, it would definitely still be, be fragrance first. Is there a specific smell um, that you think has not been bottled yet? Well, if you're willing to share it, that you're like, this should exist as a fragrance. That's another good one. I think that, you know, like, like we talked about these things that's kind of like become an acquired taste. And, you know, I think that right now what you see people kind of exploring more savory notes, sultry, salty notes. Mm -hmm. I love that kind of stuff, you know, Me because it, it creates kind of a different texture and a feel. Mm -hmm. um, like from the top of my head, if there's something that I would say that hasn't been done yet and should be done, it's really hard. But, yeah. you know, 
even just working, even if you're just working on another rose or another jasmine, you can twist it so many different ways right. that makes it completely unique again. And again, I'm not talking about crazy different or crazy new, but just making it beautiful. And, right. you know, you have, uh, I've been lucky to be working and exposed to a lot of great perfumers and somebody like a, a Maurice Roussel who is really known to work on formulations that are very short. And he was definitely one of the perfumers that also kind of inspired people like Le Labo to put a number behind their fragrance names because those are the number of ingredients that are in the fragrance. Right. So, and you don't have to have a very complicated recipe formulation with all kinds of different notes, accords, and bases like it used to be done back in the days. But you can have a very simple formula with amazing ingredients that is just creates this beauty and that you think like, oh, this is just, yeah, you can tell there's something different there. And when you mm -hmm. wear it, no matter, you know, you can just smell it on, on a blotter and think, okay, it's okay. But the, if you wear that fragrance and you live with it, it just, it comes to life and it just takes you to, for me, like a whole different mindset and another level. It's a different kind of high. Right. Well, your your passion for fragrance is so clear. And I know you've been in the industry for a while, but we have a final segment of the show where I'm hoping to learn more about how, how this came to be. So this is called What's That Smell? Mm, what's that smell? I will throw out people, places, things, concepts, whatever. And you tell me the first smell that that, that comes to mind. Okay. Are you ready to play What's That Smell? Absolutely. Okay. What is the smell of the first fragrance you ever wore? Or what was the first fragrance? The first fragrance was that I really got, it was a gift. It was a bottle uh, from when I was growing up in Amsterdam. It was the Anteus from Chanel. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember that very, it was a very grown fragrance for a young teenager at the time. And I just fell in love with it. It had a unique, still has a unique signature. I think it's changed over the years, like a, a lot of fragrances, unfortunately, do. Mm -hmm. But I can, I can just still see myself applying that in the bathroom and thinking, "Wow, this is so unique. This is great." So yeah, that that was my first fragrance that I that I own, which was mm -hmm. a gift. And and just thinking about that. Were you always into fragrance before you went into the industry? Like, were you like, oh, I'm trying to get into the fragrance industry? Or was it, which ne first? Never tried to get into the fragrance industry. Always was intrigued by fragrances. My dad uh, used to travel quite a bit internationally. And also to the U.S., uh, even though we were living in Europe at the time. And again, I was, you know, born and raised in Amsterdam. So he used to bring some, quote unquote, typical uh, U.S. fragrances that he would buy in duty-free at JFK or wherever the hell he was mm -hmm. at that time. Mm -hmm. So, And I remember when he brought back Halston C14 at the time. And mm -hmm. I was like, this is amazing. And it's funny because there is a little bit that kind of similar base bottom note effect that you have in the Anteus and C14 for me in the woodiness. Mm -hmm. and in some of the ambery notes that are underneath uh, but yeah so i was you know always exposed to it and and i used to steal his you know fragrances all the time that he used to bring back then he was the the aramis devon by aramis that he used to bring back like you know mm -hmm. we're talking 
we're talking eighties right now, right? So I'm, I'm yeah. outdating, outdating myself, but um, yeah. So that, that was kind of like the first. And then I, I really just happened to fall into the fragrance industry by applying to this German company. He knew about that company uh, because he uh, was more in the chemical industry, my dad, but never really mm -hmm. into to flavors and fragrances. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I applied for that internship. I enrolled and I never left the industry and I still love it. Wow. Uh, I love that. What What is the smell? I'm trying to parlay some of my questions into this what's that smell if you can't tell. But what is the smell of something you are working on right now or have worked on recently that is exciting you? Oh, yeah. So that that's really uh, is the fragrance that we worked on for Lover Den, which is this bamboo salt fragrance mm -hmm. that Christophe Lodemiel created. Mm -hmm. It is truly amazing. Truly amazing. I gotta try it. The way and so it, it's not in a perfume form because it's it's really just in uh, body care right now. Mm, it's in a, okay. they have it they have it in a body wash. They have it in a lotion. More mm -hmm. products will follow. There is a candle that uh, that they also have. The way he translated that bamboo salt from something very conceptual into something that has really a salty kind of smell, mm. it's just incredible so yeah I'm, I'm i hope you get the smell that and if not i'll make sure you get a sample of it because I it's mean, yeah that, okay. <laughs> that sounds amazing wow it, yeah okay what is the smell of the netherlands what is the smell of the netherlands oh wow it's, it's funny because uh people may not know but actually a big part of the fragrance industry after it of course so the, the modern birth of, of the fragrance industry as you know came from the south of france from grass blah 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 everybody knows that story mm -hmm. what they did not know is that you know the french always thought like because it is the quote-unquote birthplace of modern perfumery it will never leave this area and we will always be creating fragrances for the rest of the world for the rest of our lives Mm -hmm. But there happened to be some, you know, the Dutch have always been in trading, right? Trading in spices, trading in everything. And so there were a couple of Dutch companies that actually started uh, in Amsterdam that said, well, why can we not import those ingredients from all over the world? And we start mixing and blending it here. So two of the most successful fragrance companies in the world were actually started in Holland. IFF hmm, I is... IFF is one of them. I and, did not know that. Yeah. So two uh, Dutch Jewish gentlemen started this company in Holland <laughs> and then had the vision on going to the U.S. because they saw that's where the future was for growth. But it started originally in Holland. And they were like, what, what are these French thinking? We can import these goods. We can blend them here and create something wow. beautiful. And another company was Narden. And Narden uh, is now became then with an English company, became an English company called PPL and Narden. They became Quest and then Quest was purchased by Givadon. So again, uh, another Dutch company that started out there and became with, with a British partner. And that is now part of the, the biggest fragrance house in the world, Givadon. Wow, we need to give credit where credit is due. Thank you, Holland. That's amazing. I, I had no idea about that that history. Yeah, so. so again, just just that vision of like, why not, you know, take these ingredients from all over the world and, and mm -hmm. you know, we create the recipe somewhere else. You don't necessarily have to be at that location at in Gras right. at the source, 
you know. And plus you have, a, you know, at that time, they were big in trading, you know, spices that came from Southeast Asia that were being traded through Holland. So there's always been that kind of like a trading kind of mindset and culture. Mm -hmm. uh, but when it comes to a particular smell, I have to say that the, the canals in Amsterdam, uh, even though they can be a little bit stinky, mm -hmm. uh, there, there is a unique kind of driftwood, watery note when you go to certain parts of the city. And it just, you know, it takes me home. So, yeah, that's, that's a big part of uh, the smell of, of the Netherlands, but in particular of Amsterdam, where I grew up. Beautiful. Okay, well, transitioning, what is the smell of New York City? Oh, my God. So, yeah, it, New York is just so diverse when it comes to smell. I mean, and it, for me, New York has very seasonal smells, right? So, you know, you get the roasted, of course, the roasted nuts and, 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 and you know, the hot dog smell and, you know, the dirty hot dog water and everything. All of it. <laughs> All of it. But then, you, you, you know, springtime, you walk through the Upper West Side or the Upper East and you get that linden blossom smell. Mm -hmm. uh, there's so many unique, it really depends on season and very much on location. So you would, you know, and that's why I like, you know, you have sometimes have at certain cities, these kind of smells, sensory tours where they take you through a city and you smell different things. Is there one particular New York smell? Like, oh, wow. That's, that's really hard. Yeah, it, it really is for me. It's seasonal and location. And I love all kinds of different aromas. And, and I'm, a, I'm a big, big cigar smoker. So, you know, and let's say it's like late summer, fall, and it gets a little bit colder. And then I would walk from wherever I have dinner that time. And I walk back to Penn Station to take the train back to Montclair, New Jersey, where I live. Mm -hmm. And I will, I will smoke a cigar on the way back. And then mm -hmm. you have that unique smell of the steam that comes out of the, uh, you know, out of the pipes and out of the ground. Unique is one way to put it, for sure. Yeah, but there is, there is something to me. It's very New York, so it's 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 a very kind of weird smell. But you get that steam, you get a little bit of smell from the local bar, from mm -hmm. the local restaurant, and that combination. And then I'm walking and I'm smoking my cigar, and life is just beautiful. Wow, I really appreciate the the nuance that you are giving New York City because most people are just like piss and trash. So I that's poetic. I really I love that part. The final question. Yes. What is the smell? Of Bart Schmidt. What is the smell of Bart Schmidt? I, I think that depends on the time of the day, depends on mood, uh, depends on season. Uh, you know, I try to be uh, always as open-minded as I can. I love different smells. There is not one particular smell, I would say, that uh, kind of captures that or encapsulates that. Um, I, again, because I'm a cigar smoker, there's always a little bit of that hinge of cigar. There's always a little bit of a, a, a note of whiskey, uh, or some great red wine or you name it. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a whole bunch of aromas, but, mm. uh, yeah. And for me, fragrance, again, it, it's also, it's very mood related. Right. I can I can wake up in the morning and I'm like feel like this that or the other and I will pick a certain fragrance for that day. Right. Yeah. You know. So that's why it's so hard to say. You know, is is there one particular smell? But 
a combination of different aromas that definitely involve food, that definitely involve good drinks, good cigars, and just, yeah, everything that kind of makes me happy. Sounds That sounds beautiful. What a, what a lovely life. I mean, we can all learn a little from Bart Schmidt. That's beautiful. Cigars, wine, rum, I mean, whiskey. <laughs> At the end of the day, I think that, you know, like I said, I love what I do. I, I just mm-hmm. have passion, passion for, for the industry overall, passion mm-hmm. for the people that are involved in the industry, which in general are incredible people. Um, so that, that keeps you going. Yeah. And, and then yep. seeing, you know, the next success or the next small baby brand that then becomes huge mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, having, you know, been lucky enough to be exposed to people like Fabrice Bonneau, who, who started Le Labo and helping these guys out, delivering empty bottles at midnight while they were just, you know, having one slice of pizza to share before they started the company. Those are right. beautiful moments. Right. You know, and those yeah. are things that you never forget. Okay, real quick. I said that was the last question, but very, very rapid fire. Like, first thing comes to mind, what's the next Lilabo? What's the next brand that we don't know about now, but in five years, we're all going to be talking about? So, you know, there's always kind of like, I go back and forth with some people in the industry, like not so much what is kind of like the next brand, but which one are going to be the next one that are going to be acquired, Mm. right? So, Mm. and, you know, and so there's certain brands that definitely come you know which one is going to be like the next um which was the last one that was uh you know uh i'm just trying to think which is the last one that was that's big indie brand that was acquired but if you look at kind of like a top five i think that for me people like diaz and durga are definitely mm-hmm. up there they are, uh yeah. you know i mean the last one of course was the big one that was byredo that was right. acquired Mm-hmm. But so there, I, I kind of have like a top five and I have some people in the union. We, we kind of put bets on it. Like, oh, who's going to be the next one? So mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of amazing indie brands out there. And I and mm-hmm. I love that. I mean, you know, I, you know, you're you're very good at highlighting a lot of them. Uh, so I, I always love following what's happening on social media, which is the next one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um that, there's a ton of them. There's a ton. So and, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's just great to see how everything is evolving and people still trying and still wanting to get involved. You know, some people will come to me and say, but the market is so saturated. And I completely disagree Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, so is the market. The market is so segmented and the market is so diverse that Mm -hmm. if you just hone in on one particular segment and you really make that work and you get a following and you get the fans that are supporting that, You'll have a successful, even if it's a small brand, you have a successful brand. You Mm -hmm. don't need to be the next Chanel, right? Right, right. Uh, And, you know, like we always say, like, if you look at the NPD numbers, as you know, they do the research on what are the best sellers. The number one selling fragrance has less than 5% market share. So that that means that 95% of consumers are wearing other stuff. So there's there's always opportunity. If you have a great story, if you have a great concept, if you have a great mm-hmm. point of view, you can create something out there. And then again, obviously you need a little bit of luck, but mm-hmm. you can create something that can become successful even if you just if you just do 10, 20,000 bottles a year. Right. Well, and, and also too, so many people wear perfume to showcase their individuality and to have something that sets them apart. So the idea that the most popular perfume has 5% of the market share, it's like, 
maybe people want to like there will always be a market because people will always want to smell unlike anyone else so absolutely well Bart, it has been an absolute pleasure talking same to here, you today. Same here. Um, for people listening where can they find you or follow you uh, the easiest, honestly, from a professional perspective is just to find me uh, on LinkedIn, Bart Schmidt, S-C-H-M-I-D-T, spelled the German way, even though I'm Dutch. Um, and then uh, Instagram, I used to be quite active. I don't do a lot that more, but it's Agents Fragrance, at Agents Fragrance, and you can find me on Instagram. Amazing. Bart, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, same here. We'll talk soon. Perfume Room is edited by Wyatt Peak. Music is by Max Vernon and illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez.